Amen. If you would, would you take a copy of God's Word this morning and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 as we continue to walk through our sermon series through 1 Peter and looking at what it looks like to have hope uh, in the midst of suffering. Uh, and this morning we're going to pick up with what is a really rich set of verses that has a lot to unpack, and so I'm going to try my best to do so in a concise way. Uh, but this morning, as we continue in our sermon series, Grace in Suffering, Hope in Glory, I want to focus you uh, from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, to the fact that we do, as believers, have hope and joy in suffering. That what God tells us in these verses is that we have a, a living hope that has been secured for us, that God brings this hope and joy to carry his people through this life. And one thing I want to notice, I want to point out to you this morning is that what we're going to see is from verses 3 through 9, their book ended by worship towards God. Um, Ligon Duncan, a uh, pastor in Jackson, Mississippi, shares that some of us, as human beings think that if we could just be better Christians, then you wouldn't be having the problems that you're having. That many believe that if they could just live better as a Christian, then everything in their lives would also get better. But what the Word of God tells us is that is insufficient because it puts our hope in the wrong place. It puts our hope in our ability to do better and try harder. And what God shows us from his word this morning is that our hope is not built in what we can do. But our hope is built in the one who has already done everything for us. And this morning I want to show that to you uh, from these verses. 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 3. I know we're doing church aerobics, so go ahead and see if you're willing to. And if you're physically able, stand up with me. Out of honor for God's word, let's read verses 3 through 9, and I'll let you sit down for just a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Heavenly Father, remind us, we ask, remind us of the salvation that you've already secured for us. Remind us of the joy of our salvation. God, we give you glad praise for the fact that our hope is not in us and our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is in you alone. And God, you are sufficient to bring that hope that we so desperately need. God, help us to give you praise 
out of the joy flowing from changed hearts that now know your goodness and mercy where we used to only know wrath and sorrow. God, would you remind us from, our, from your word that we are secure in you no matter what we face. And Lord, would you feed your sheep today that no matter what they're facing, no matter what trial they're walking through, God, would you show them that there is joy and hope in the midst of suffering, yes. and it's only because we have you. Amen. We love you. We praise you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated for a moment. I really did try to put my points up on the screen, but I'm not as good as Charles Prestridge, so I failed miserably. It did not go well. So I'm going to try my best. If you're taking notes, and I really hope you take notes because you're not going to remember 95% of what I say. I don't remember 95% of what I say. You're not going to remember it unless you write it down and take notes. That also gives you a chance to go back and correct me if you see me do something wrong. But I want to show you two major points this morning. Number one, from these verses I believe we see that God brings us joy in salvation. God brings us joy in salvation. And it's because of that that Peter begins with worship because that's what flows from those who experience the joy of salvation. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed means praise, worship, honor, glory. It means that God is supremely praiseworthy for you as a Christian today. He is supremely praiseworthy. And why? Well, we're told according to what Peter writes, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So God brings us joy in salvation, and I want you to notice the source of this salvation. God deserves worship because he alone acts to save us from our sin. And I want you to notice that God brings us joy and salvation, and as we reflect, we see that this salvation that God brings is motivated by his mercy. It's motivated by his mercy. God brings us salvation. He causes us to be born again into a living hope because he is merciful. What this tells me is that God is going to have to be merciful because we are sinful people. We are hopeless and helpless apart from God. We need mercy because we sin. And God brings salvation not because we deserve it, but in fact, he gives us salvation even though we don't deserve it. That's what mercy is. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And man, as a child, I loved not getting what I deserved often. You may not believe it, but I was, I could get out of line sometimes as a kid. I know, it's crazy. It's just not, a, you can't fathom it. Not me. But I experienced mercy when I wasn't punished like I deserved to be. But think about it on a cosmic scale. Think about our infinite sin against God. That our sin is nothing less than treason against him. Yeah. Our sin is nothing less than trying to rip God off the throne and place ourselves in his spot. And what we're told is that mercy is what God 
brings to the helpless and the hopeless like us. And in fact, in God's word, he tells us numerous times about this mercy that is ours in him. I can't help but think of Ephesians chapter 2. We're told, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There is our state as human beings, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and this not of yourselves. What motivates God in salvation? His mercy. And I want to point out to you that mercy isn't just something God does. Mercy is who he is. It's his character. The mercy we experience in salvation is the outworking of God's merciful character. And how glorious is it, Christians, that God is motivated by his mercy when we consider just how terrible our sin is? How many sins can God's mercy cover over? All of them. What sin is too big that God can't do anything about it? None. But God's grace and mercy is so great that even all of the depths of the sin and sickness that resides within our hearts apart from him, God and his mercy is able to shine and bring salvation and pardon. And if you're here this morning and you're trusting in Jesus, then you should be acquainted with the mercy of God. And just so you know, God deserves praise this morning from our lips for the mercy he has shown in salvation. See, God brings us joy by bringing us mercy and oh, how desperately we need it. Not only is this salvation motivated by his mercy, but it's also bringing new birth. That means new life. We're told in verse 3 that according to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again, to be recreated. God deserves praise, and we have joy because the old life is gone and the new has come. And God has caused this to be true for you as a believer. But I want you to think about it. God is the one who causes this to take place. See, physical birth can teach us a lot about what spiritual birth looks like. I don't know about you, but I didn't have much of a decision to make or choice to make when I was born. They kind of left me out of that discussion. See, none of us here can take credit for our physical birth. If you're trying to, you are terribly misled. But what God is teaching us is that the same is true about our spiritual birth. It was something that happened to us. 
It was something that God caused. God caused us to be born again. That's passive tense. That means it's done to us. And it's past tense, which means it's a settled fact. So if you're a Christian, you have been caused by God to be born again into a living hope, into salvation. God has caused this in us. He has caused a recreation in us. And as Spurgeon points out, our first birth brought us into sin and sorrow. But our second birth brings us into purity and joy. Oh, the good news of what God has brought. You have joy today, at least you should as a Christian. You know why? Because God has displayed his mercy by saving you. And God has recreated you, made you new in him. God deserves praise for this. Not only is this salvation motivated by mercy, not only is this salvation bringing new birth, but we're told that this is a joy and a salvation for the present. Because notice he says we are born again to a living hope. See, this new birth that God brings is a living hope. Hope, And that's not just a, oh, I wish, I, I really hope this happens. But the hope the Bible talks about, a godly hope, is a confident expectation, not a wavering uncertainty. This hope is lived out in this life, and it's lived out regardless of the current circumstances we're walking through. Some of you are walking through tough circumstances, but you have a living hope in God that has been secured for you. Right now. And in fact, the hope that we have that God brings is the hope that shines clearest in the trials of this life. God is seen so beautifully when he carries his people through the darkest of times. And what God has done is he has brought a living hope. Where at first we were born to die, now we are born to live. That's real life. That's vibrant life. That's joyful life. And that's a life that cannot be robbed by our circumstances or suffering. See, we have a living hope, a living faith in Jesus Christ. And that's contrary to dead hope and dead faith that comes only by our own hands. We've been given this by God for this day. Christians, you have joy and hope right now, no matter what what you're walking through. And it's not based on your circumstances. It's based on God who has shown his mercy in salvation. So this salvation, God, is motivated by his mercy, brings new birth. It's for the present, and it's accomplished through Jesus. He says that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this is accomplished. God brings us salvation. God brings us a living hope, not by what we do, but what he does through his son Jesus and specifically through his resurrection from the dead. Amen. See, Jesus' resurrection from the dead secures our deliverance from the power of sin and death. The resurrection of Jesus is central and primary to our lives as believers. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we are left hopeless. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we are left scattered, still under the wrath of God for our sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
Paul writes about what happens if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And he says in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how come some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. That if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is empty. We're believing in a dead God. But what Peter tells us is that we as believers have been caused to be born again into a living hope that is accomplished through Jesus' ultimate sacrifice and resurrection from the dead. So our hope in this life is not found in our own abilities or our own plans or our own wisdom or our own actions. I don't care how much money you have in your 401k, it is not going to bring the eternal hope through trials that only God can bring. It's through Jesus, through the fact that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus got up out of the tomb and walked. And because he did that, you and I have living hope today, accomplished through what he did on the cross for us. And because of that, God deserves praise from our lips. God deserves praise even in our suffering. Because God brings us joy in salvation, a living hope. But not only does God bring us joy in salvation, number two, God preserves our joy through suffering. God preserves our joy through suffering. Well, how does he do that? I'm glad you asked. In verse 4, we are told that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. How does God preserve our joy through suffering? By causing us to look to our future inheritance. Looking to our future inheritance. We've been saved to an inheritance. That is a future promise. And from verses 5 and 9 in 1 Peter chapter 1, I would submit to you that this promised inheritance is not a big paycheck. It's not career advancement. It's not family, uh, uh, everything going well in your family. It's not a great job security. The inheritance that God promises to his people is future salvation or glorification. See, in the Bible... Salvation is used in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's used to refer to the past, what has been accomplished through Jesus and his death on the cross. Sometimes salvation is present, meaning uh, God's work of sanctifying us and making us look more like Jesus. And then sometimes it's used in the future tense, meaning ultimate salvation, final, consummated salvation, glorification, perfection. And that's what I believe Peter is referring to here How does God preserve your joy even through the midst of suffering? By reminding us as Christians that one day we will stand before God in his presence and we will be declared perfect, no sin, no more defilement, no more decay, no more death, and we will stay and dwell with God forever. That is your future inheritance. 
You live with hope in this life by fixing your eyes on the future deliverance that God promises in Jesus. And what's this inheritance look like? He says it's imperishable. Folks, that means it won't decay. It won't die. I'm looking forward to a day when there is no more death. He says it's undefiled. That means it's pure. It's without stain. Oh, I look forward to the day when I dwell with God, finally perfect before him, having been washed completely by Jesus and all sin having been put away under his feet. It's unfading. That means it's everlasting. It's not going away. See, you want to know what earthly inheritance looks like? It is perishable. It is defiled. It is fading. And what we're told is the inheritance God gives to his people is contrary to an earthly inheritance. And it's based in his character. Because how can we have an inheritance that won't decay, that won't die, unless there is a God who doesn't die? A God who doesn't decay. How are we going to have an inheritance that's undefiled, that's not marked by sin, unless we have a God who's holy and perfect and pure? How are we going to have an inheritance that's unfading, everlasting, unless we have a God who's everlasting? See, our inheritance as Christians is based in the character of God, and he doesn't change. That inheritance is a lot better than anything you get in this life. Because everything we base our hope in right now, one day it's gone. But as believers, though the world will fade away, God still reigns. Aren't you glad? See, there's joy and hope in suffering. You know why? Because no amount of suffering can take this inheritance. It's promised to you. Your father said he'll give it to his children. Oh, folks, this is what keeps us in the midst of suffering. This is where joy comes from. Not only, so how does God preserve our joy? First, looking at our future inheritance and then also guarded. It's an inheritance that is guarded by God's power. We can have joy because we know this inheritance is guarded by God's power. We're told in verse 5, Actually, into verse 4, into verse 5, that this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. God's doing the keeping of it for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So God says that this inheritance, this, this future inheritance of final salvation, of glorification, of being presented perfect before God is kept in heaven. It is reserved in heaven for you. As his people. And man, there's nothing better than having something reserved for you that can't be taken away. Listen, I love shoes. I love new kicks. I love all that stuff. And and sometimes I'll enter a raffle just because there'll be some really nice shoes coming out. And and I want a pair of them. And you can enter these raffles online where where if if your ticket gets chosen, then then they have a pair of those shoes that will be reserved for you. And and I had that happen last year. I, I just, I happened to get on there and I thought there's no way, they were really, really hard to get shoes, and I thought, there's no way I'm going to get this, but I went ahead and filled it out, and I, I submitted it and didn't think anything of it. Then, the next day, I got a notification on my phone. You were selected to receive a pair 
of these shoes. I could not have been more excited and joyous because I won, I won, and then you have to go to the store to pick them up. I want to tell you, I went to South Haven, to the finish line over there in South Haven. I got out my car. There was a line of people outside the store who didn't win, who were hoping to get a pair if there was any left. Guess what I got to do? I got to walk right in. I got to show them my phone. And with all this line of people behind me, they said, here's your shoes. I grabbed those things and I strutted out of there. And every time, every person I walked by was just like. <laughs> now, I almost got greedy. I almost tried to sell them to somebody. Like, man, I could make some big money off these, but no. But there's nothing better than knowing that it's not, no matter what happened, no matter what happened, those shoes were reserved for me. They had my name on it. Those were mine. They had already been given to me. So when I got there, I wasn't worried like the other folks about whether there was going to be any shoes left because I knew there was a pair already there for me. See, we're told that our inheritance, this glorification God speaks about, it is reserved for you in heaven, kept by God himself. And he ain't going back on his promises. That means you can bet, Christian, that no matter what you face in this life, no matter what suffering, even if it takes your very physical life, you will be presented perfect before God. It's going to happen. It's guaranteed. Kept in heaven, reserved for you. But I want you to notice, not only is our inheritance kept by God, we are guarded by God. He says, we are guarded as believers. That's present tense. That means God keeps on guarding us every single day. Oh, how beautiful. See, your glorification before God is secure because Jesus is the one who secures it. And he's already paid the price. It's guarded for us. Charles Spurgeon says, heaven is kept for us, and we are kept for heaven. Heaven is prepared for us, and we are prepared for heaven. Why? Because it's guarded by God's power. So not only do God preserves our joy through suffering by causing us to look to our future inheritance, it's guarded by God's power, and he says it's ready to be revealed who by God's power are being guarded, verse 5, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, this inheritance or future salvation or glorification is ready to be revealed. What that tells me is that this is part of God's plan. He's got an appointed time. He's got a time frame he's working off of, and it's going to happen. All of this has been planned out by God. That's why you can have joy even in suffering because suffering can't stop God's hand from moving. And at God's appointed time, we're told it will be revealed, manifested to us. And nothing can keep God's plan from happening, not even evil and sin and suffering. He says it's ready to be revealed in the last time. I wish I knew when that was. (laughs) The last time is just a biblical phrase for in between the first and second comings of Jesus. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. 
But you know when he does, God is ready to reveal the final salvation, glorification, the inheritance he's promised. That's right. So that means we should probably long for Jesus to come back. Because that means we will be able to enjoy that which God is ready to reveal. Yes. Not only is our joy preserved through suffering by looking to our future inheritance that is guarded by God's power, ready to be revealed. But this inheritance and our faith is also tested in suffering. He says in verse 6, And this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, God is going to preserve our joy by testing us through suffering. And since God will certainly glorify his people, we can rejoice in our suffering, knowing that through it, God is preparing us for heaven. Well, how is he doing that? Well, it's because I believe that God is testing the genuineness of our faith. And by walking us through the crucible of suffering, God is burning off everything in this world, our longing for it, our desire for it, our love for it. God is burning it off so that we might treasure him supremely. That's the metaphor he gives. But notice he says the trials of this life will be various. You're going to have lots of them. Some worse than others. But also, he says they will be temporary. He says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. The trials that grieve us are temporary. They are for a little while. And it's through those trials that God is testing the genuineness of our trust in Jesus. Do we really believe in the hope that he brings us? Do we really trust in the promise of his return and our future glorification? See, God intends for trials and suffering to test the genuineness or the authenticity of your belief in Jesus. Your trust in him. Your belief in the promises of God. But what this means is that authentic faith will not perish. Authentic faith in Jesus will not perish as that faith is far more precious than any gold which does perish. See, God's will for his people includes suffering and trials so that he might show the genuineness of our trust and belief in him. So not only is our joy preserved through looking to our future inheritance, which is guarded by God's power, ready to be revealed, tested in suffering, and finally resulting in praise. Remember, it begins with praise, and it ends with praise. Blessed be the God and Father. Worship be to him who has caused us to be born again. Well, guess where it ends? It ends in praise too. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, God intends through our trials and suffering in this life 
that we would be found at the end praising God, glorifying him, and sharing in that glory and honor. See, believers will be glorified so that we can share in the holiness of God. And God uses trials to produce this in his children. And like I said, the trials we face are like a burning off of the love for the things of the world and leaving behind a tested, genuine faith evident for all to see. This is what God produces in us. And it's so he alone receives blessing and honor. See, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, when he returns, this hope that keeps believers going through suffering will be seen. The promised return of our king brings the promised perfection that God says he will bring. And at the appearing of Jesus, I believe all the trials we face will be found to be worth going through. And this is the hope that only God can give. This is the hope that can only be found in him. How great is our God that he wants us to have joy. He wants us to have hope. And everything he does for his people is meant to bring us to God's desired conclusion. And that is to be able to dwell with God forever, perfectly. See, what was only a shadow in the Old Testament of the land, the inheritance that God promised the people, will become a reality at the return of Jesus. And there's a big difference Because in the Old Testament, the Israelites were banished from the promised land because of their sin and rebellion. They had to be separated again. But at the return of Jesus, at the revelation of Christ, we will no longer live in separation from God and we will never be cast back out into exile again. Your hope is secure in him. It's secured through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in your place. And now Jesus stands to intercede for us before the Father. And one day, he'll present us as perfect. Here are the ones that I have cleansed. Folks, this is where hope and joy and suffering is found. Not in our plans, not in our wisdom or abilities, but in the finished work of Jesus and the hope of the future inheritance God has promised. I want to close with a couple of verses from a hymn called The Church's One Foundation. The Church's One Foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Uh, She is his new creation by spirit and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore. Till with the vision glorious her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. We fight, we live, we cling to the hope that God brings, knowing that one day the war is over and we will rest in him. 
My hope this morning is that you know Jesus. Not that you know about Jesus, but that you know him. That you're trusting in his sacrifice for your sin. That you're placing your faith completely in him. My hope is also that no matter what you're walking through, no matter what circumstances you're facing in church, no matter what circumstances we're facing, that God is our hope and joy. That no matter what we face, he is supremely glorious. And God will fulfill his promises to us. That we have hope in the midst of our struggle and circumstances because God brings us joy in salvation and he preserves our joy through suffering. Run to him. In the midst of your tribulations and trials, run to Jesus and find the one who has given everything for you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. And I thank you that you remind us that our lives as Christians are not going to be easy. God, our lives as Christians are going to be marked by pain and struggles. God, some worse than others, but you are sufficient for every one of them. And Father, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray this morning you would point our eyes back to Jesus. Show us how he is the one who has secured our hope and joy. Father, would you help us to look beyond the circumstances we're facing, to look to the eternal promises you've made. God, we long for that deliverance. God, we long for that glorification. God, we long for you to finish the work you've started in us. And Father, may the tests and the trials we face in this life be found to be resulting in praise to you. The one who keeps us. The one who holds us in his hands. The one who has paid it all for us. Lord, would you find us faithful to you? And Lord, whatever suffering you bring into our lives, may we see it as an opportunity to show a lost and dying world that you, God, are sufficient for all our needs. We love you, and we find our hope in you. Oh Lord, help us. Guard us from the lure of the loves of this world. God, burn them away. God, cause us to flee to you and help us to treasure you above all. Oh, Lord, work in the hearts of people today, whether it's to be rescue them from their sin or, God, whether it be just to help us to walk and to live in hope and joy. Oh, Lord, may you receive praise for what happens here. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.